love you. I love you too. You got it. We don't say it enough. Oh. Hey. <laughs> I love you, Dad. <laughs> it doesn't compute until they're gone. <laughs> so tell them now. Sort of weird standing so close to you. <laughs> wow, these videos just keep getting more and more emotional, don't they? Holy smokes. I'm glad there's only two, or uh, we'd be bawling by the time we're getting out of here. But. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Chronicles chapter 26, and uh, while you're turning there, I do want to say one more time, happy fathers uh, to all the fathers that are here and those that are, might be tuning in through the live stream. Uh, we hope that you enjoy your day. We hope that uh, this is a day in which uh, not only do you get to relax as a father, but um, uh, that those that um, you've influenced and impacted, those of your family would uh, take some time, as the video challenged us this morning, to just say what we are grateful for uh, in, um, in our fathers, and fathers, of course, taking the time to say what we're grateful for in our children. And uh, it's something that today is all about, and I hope we'll take advantage of that uh, in, uh, in, our, in our day throughout this day. Uh, and also, while you're turning to First Chronicles, let me just also mention that I forgot to mention it last week, but we finally got all the chairs in uh, for our new, for the auditorium here, and uh, I think you've noticed the difference. It really does make a huge difference, not just for our seating. We found out that we can actually seat more in here than we thought, uh, but also, it also gives us just an opportunity where um, with this seating, we can... Um, uh, we can really better uh, do some other things and other ministries uh, here at our church. So we're very excited. Thank you for those that are, are continuing to give, uh, not just your tithes and offerings, but also in your missions giving, also in your construction giving, because this is what is a result of that. It's because of uh, so many that are giving and sacrificing that we're able to, uh, to do that this morning and really to enjoy some better seating here in the auditorium. And uh, not only does it help Sit better. You know, I think Mark Twain is the one that said, um, the mind can only receive uh, what the back can endure, right? So as long as we have good, comfortable seating, I think the preaching is just that much better, okay? It, it should help that much more, and uh, hopefully it does. Uh, but either way, it's just a blessing to have these new, this new seating in our auditorium, and uh, thank you. I want to say that. Thank you for everyone that's been giving uh, to this project and, and being a part in that way uh, to change uh, the auditorium this way. First Chronicles chapter number 26, and what we want to talk about today, we're getting away from the series of uh, James, uh, the study of the book of James on genu genuine Christianity. We are going to come back to it, but uh, being that today's Father's Day, it's a special day, uh, I wanted to just take a moment and, uh, and really challenge us as fathers, and, and, and I think the challenge isn't only going to apply to fathers this morning. Hopefully, it'll be something that will challenge all of us and be an encouragement to all of us, but really, really geared at and targeted for us as fathers, something that we can do today, something we can apply into our, our, our weekly routine, and something that we can really apply into our life that 
will actually make a difference. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, and I've titled the message, A Father's Legacy. Uh, a Father's Legacy. You see, all fathers are legacy builders. I'll say that one more time. All fathers are legacy builders. Uh, from the moment our children come into this world, we begin leaving them our legacy. Now, if you're wondering what does legacy mean, well, Webster's Dictionary defines it this way. It says, legacy is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. A legacy is something that we all will give to our children, whether we want to or not, whether we plan to or not. A legacy is not something that uh, you can avoid, or a legacy is not something that you can decide, I don't want to leave. In fact, everyone will be leaving a legacy, everyone. And as fathers especially, let me remind you this morning, you're a legacy builder. Now, leaving a great legacy doesn't happen by accident. All right, as legacy builders, dads, leaving a great legacy to our family doesn't happen by accident. You actually have to work at it. You actually have to prepare. You actually have to do uh, certain things in your life if you're going to leave the right kind of legacy. If you're going to leave a legacy that your children are going to admire and aspire to, then you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to prepare it. It's kind of like hunting. Now, some of uh, when I was walking in the, into the church, the previous service, the 930 service, was kind of looking at us a little bit as they're really dressed down today. It was outdoorsman's day is what we were uh, going for here on Father's Day here in the English service, and uh, that's why I'm using camo. Now, as you look at me, let me just tell you, I'm not an outdoorsman at all, okay, at all. I've gone hunting once in my life when I was, I think, maybe 10 or 11, went with my uncle. We sat in the woods for about four hours. At the end of four hours, I hate to admit this, <laughs> at the end of four hours, I'd been holding, okay, my food and everything else as much as I could, all right? Nothing came around. There was no deer. There was not even a squirrel. I don't remember seeing anything on that little hunting trip after about four hours I could hold it no longer. I passed gas, okay? And then my uncle said, you just scared all the deer away. Let's go home. And so we went home. All right, so what I'm about to share is not from personal experience. I do have friends that are outdoorsmen, okay? And maybe some of you guys are outdoorsmen, so, so maybe you'll be able to back, back me up on this. But I have heard that when you go hunting, you don't just go hunting. Right? You don't just wake up, put on any, any pair of clothes, and go hunting. When you go hunting, you have to, you have to prepare for it. You, you, you've got to make sure that what you're going to be doing on this hunting trip is actually finding some deer or finding whatever you're hunting for uh, to kill it. And that doesn't happen by accident. You actually have to work and prepare. And the first thing that I am told that you really need to do is, is try to get some camo gear, right? If you're going to go into the woods and you're going to be hunting, especially deer, you want to find something that's going to blend in with your surroundings. In fact, they call the place where you wait for the deer a blind, right? That is 
the idea of the, the deer can't see you. You're, you're blending in with your surroundings. And the camo actually helps in doing that. And I forgot my other prop. Let me see. It's over here. Because the second thing you need. Now, don't get scared. It has an orange tip. This is not a real gun. Okay? This is just a fake gun I got at the Alamo. But when you're really going hunting, you need something that you're going to hunt with. Uh, now, you just... You don't have to have a gun. Um, people were hunting for hundreds of years before guns were ever even invented, okay? Um, but you do need something. You, you need a weapon that you're going to use to try to kill a deer, whether it's a bow and arrow, a sword, or a rifle. Not only do you need the camo, do you need, you know, the rifle, but you need the right type of rifle. Now, I'm not a big guns guy. I do have a friend uh, that is, all right? He's, he's a, in fact, he's here today. Uh, he's a police officer. We always, every, every, every time we get together, Chevy's always informing me and, and, and educating me on guns and what kind of guns there are. And, and it's interesting. When you're going hunting and you're getting your rifle, you need a rifle for what you're hunting for, right? For instance, if you're going to like hunt squirrels, you could probably have like a 22 because the bullets are like this big and or you can even have like a maybe a pellet gun or a BB gun. That's really all you need. But if you're going for the big deer, you're going to need something like a like a 30-30. You're, you're going to need something that's a whole lot bigger of a weapon. You, you can't just use that 22. You, you, you've got to look for the right rifle and the right ammunition. It's crazy. I, I've seen these things at, at Academy. Uh, the, the 22 bullets like this, and then you can go up to a little bit bigger, like, a, well, I don't know, all, the, all I know is like the 30-30 rifle. It's the only other rifle I've shot, and, and that one's like that big. And then you have shotgun shells, and, and those, like, it's a big burst of like all these little pellets that are in there. And, and basically, depending on what you're hunting, determines what rifle you're using. You got to get the right ammunition. And really, at the end, uh, the, the last thing you need if you're going to go hunting is you, you got to get in the right environment, right? Um, any hunter will tell you you're not going to run into a six-point buck at Dillard's, okay? You can't go to Dillard's, have the camo, have the rifle, have the, the right ammunition, and then expect to kill a deer that day. That's not where they're at. Hunting, you have to go to the woods. You have to go to, to where they're at. There's a lot of preparation is what I'm trying to communicate this morning. There's a lot of preparation when it comes to going hunting. It's more than just kind of waking up and walking around and saying what I run into. No, no, no. There's more to that. Now, can I say as fathers, if we're going to leave the right kind of legacy for our family, it also takes work. And preparation. You've got to think it through. You've got to make sure, hey, do I got the, the camo right? Do I have the right rifle? What am I trying? What is my target? Where, where am I going with what I am doing? I mean, all of this is something that's so important when it comes to leaving a legacy as a father. Now, this morning, we're going to be studying about a man that you've probably never heard of. In fact, even if you've grown up in church, the name Obed-Edom probably means nothing to you. You've probably maybe even never heard his name. He's, he's a man that's really obscure in the Bible. In fact, there's not, there's maybe three to four passages that really talk about him. So there's not a lot about him. You can read a lot about David, read a lot about Moses, but Obed-Edom, you don't, you don't read a, a whole lot about him. He's not mentioned too much. 
Yet, in the few passages that he has mentioned, he's an amazing man. Just what he left is truly a legacy that was unbelievable. As a father, this man truly left a great legacy. So look at 1 Chronicles chapter number 26, and I want you to look at the verse that we're going to be looking at this morning, verses number 4 down to verse number 8. Notice what it says about Obed-Edom. He says, Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabed the second, Joah the third, Sikar the fourth, and Nathaniel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Piel Thai the eighth, for God blessed him. Also unto Shemaiah his son were sons born that ruled throughout the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valor, the sons of Shemaiah, Othni, Raphael, and Obed, Elzabad, whose brethren were strong men, Elihu, and Samachiah, and all these of the sons of Obed-Edom. They and their sons and their brethren, able men for strength and for service, were threescore and two of Obed-Edom. The legacy that this man left impacted 62 people of his family. Not just him and his firstborn, not just him and his first two or three children. I mean, his eight children and beyond. A man that impacted his children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren. How does that happen? How did Obed-Edom do that? Was it that? Was it that he just got lucky? Like, oh, you just got lucky. You had some good kids. Or was there some work that he did? Or did he prepare to leave a great legacy? I want to submit to you this morning that Obed-Edom did not leave that kind of legacy to 62 family members by accident. It wasn't something that just suddenly happened and he just won the lottery and got lucky with good kids and good grandkids. No, no, no. He worked at it. Uh, He prepared himself to leave a great legacy. And there's three characteristics that I find in the life of Obed-Edom that I believe made all the difference for him, for his kids, for his grandkids, for his great-grandkids. I want you to notice, first of all, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, where you first meet Obed-Edom, you find the first characteristic, and it was this. He welcomed the presence of God in his home. In his life. He welcomed the presence of God. Now, if you're not familiar with the story here in 2 Samuel, I'll try to summarize it as quick as I can, okay? Uh, The Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines in war when they were fighting Israel. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. God dwelt, the Bible says, in between the cherubims, there in the Ark. And when the Philistines in battle defeated Israel, they took the Ark of the Covenant. And then they didn't want to keep it. Then they were scared of it because the Ark of the Covenant was actually tearing down their gods. And so they got scared and they they shipped it off. They put it on a cart and they shipped it back to uh, Israel. And and a, a man by the name of Abinadab took it in, took it into his home. Well, during that time, David hears, he comes to power shortly after that. David becomes the king. He hears that the Ark of the Covenant is over there. And and one day, as he's walking around in his palace, he, he begins to realize, you know, I've got a nice home. 
Man, I have a nice fortress. Man, I, I, God has blessed me in a great way, and there's a place that I can come home to every day and be here. And he says, what about God? Is there a place for God? Is there, there's a home that I have that I'm dedicated to. Is there one for God? And so he begins to have this desire to build God a house for him. Of course, God in his infinite wisdom says, David, you're not going to be able to build it. Solomon will build it. But while you get the material to build the house of God, you can make a tent for it and keep it in storage while that is happening. And so David goes down to Abinadab's to get the Ark of the Covenant. The problem is he doesn't read the scripture. He doesn't see how it's supposed to be moved. And in the process, as they were moving it on a cart, which was not the way to move the Ark of the Covenant, it starts to, on the road, get loose. And just about when the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall off because it's, it's on the back of the cart and, and wasn't really stable, Uzzah puts his hand on it, and immediately he dies. You see, in the book of Leviticus, they, uh, God had instructed his people, you cannot touch the Ark of the Covenant. That is a holy, sacred thing. That is where the presence of God is. If you touch it, then you will die. Uzzah is the only one that we know of in Scripture that ever touched it and died. No one else ever did that, but Uzzah did. And the reason being because they were transporting it the way that was wrong. They were doing it in a manner that did not please God, and God did that. In fact, you get to verse number six and seven, you find that it displeased David, and fear came upon David. I would be scared too. He was just trying to get it to the tent, and suddenly it's costing the life of his friend Uzzah. After that, after that instance, after that event, they stopped the little... Uh, voyage to where the tent of God was going to be. They stopped the cart and they said, well, what are we going to do now? And that's when David said, take it to the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom says, I'll take it. Obed-Edom there in that moment, I don't know if he was close by. I don't know if he was part of the processional that was following the cart with the Ark of the Covenant. But whatever it was, we find that David sends the Ark to the house, into the home of Obed-Edom. And after being there for three months, the Bible says that God began to bless Obed-Edom. God begins to do some different things in the home of Obed-Edom. We find that Obed-Edom was a man that was willing to take that ark. He was willing to welcome the presence of God in his home. Now, this is important. Because understand this, that same ark had just killed someone. That same ark, if you want to look at it this way, it was dangerous. It could be life-changing, life-altering. And yet Obed-Edom said, I'll welcome it into my home. You see, he welcomed it into his home by establishing its place there in his home. He allowed the ark. He said, David, I'll take it. And he found a place in his home for that presence of God, that life-altering presence of God, that dangerous presence of God. He said, here's a place that it can be. In fact, it says there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, you'll see that it says that uh, the word continued. And there the ark continued. You know that word continued means to settle or remain. 
In other words, it wasn't just something that uh, Obed-Edom was just like putting as extra furniture in his house. No. He was saying, I want this thing settled here. He he wasn't saying, I'm going to show it off as a nice exotic piece of furniture. And he wasn't saying, I'm going to go put it in the warehouse where no one can see it. No. He was saying, I need to have a place for the presence of God here in my home. Something that makes it important, something that others will know, hey, the, the, the presence of God is in that home. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. I put this in your notes. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More are they to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The psalmist said this. He simply said, listen, uh, the presence of God, the law of God, uh, the, the word of God is something precious. It's something that that presence ought to be something in my home, in our life. You see, Obed-Edom, he was able to to have the legacy that he had because he welcomed the presence of God in his home. Fathers, can I challenge you with something? Make sure that the presence of God is felt in your home. Make sure that the presence of God is something that others can see. Because you see, the legacy starts at home. Listen, Father, I don't really care what your success is in your business. It doesn't matter what your success is at your job. It doesn't matter what your success is in the eyes of others. Listen, your legacy doesn't start at work. It starts at home. There's been plenty of people that have so much success in the workplace and yet left a terrible legacy at home. That workplace success didn't do anything to impact their children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren. In other words, it didn't help them as a father in any way. It's important for us to understand we need to have God's presence in our home as something that is settled, something that is established. You see, when the principles of God's word is what directs your home and and his presence is what leads you in your life, then your legacy begins to impact others. That's what's going to change the life of your children and the decisions that they make. Determining how much the presence of God is in your home and in your place. Let me ask you something, Dad. How's the presence of God in your home? You see, the presence of God in your home will lead you to make some decisions in your life that may not be too popular with the world. It'll it'll, it'll lead you to make decisions and have attitudes that that may not be approved of by others. Yet it's what the Word of God teaches. Listen, the presence of God will change your attitude on how you treat and talk to your children. The the presence of God will, will impact where you go and what you talk about in your home. It'll affect the atmosphere that's there. I mean, it affects everything. The presence of God is something that's life altering. I can tell you of men in this church that when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and when God was, his presence was welcomed into their home, everything changed. What they did on weekends and where they went changed. 
uh, what they talked about and what they enjoyed changed. Even their very vocabulary changed. The words that they used to say, they don't say anymore. What they used to put in their mouth, they don't put in their mouth anymore. Why? Because of the presence of God. See, the presence of God is something that needs to be established in your home. It was something that, that Obed-Edom said, that, that this, this right here, this ark is different. This is here. It affects everything we do. And then I want you to notice in verse number 8 there, in verse number 9 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, that it says of, Obed, or 1 Samuel chapter 6, it says of Obed-Edom that it brought blessings. It said it continued, and then it brought blessings. Listen, as a father and the head of his home, Obed-Edom desired the blessings of God. It's interesting to me because after all that happened, after watching Uzzah died, he welcomes the, the presence of God. He establishes it in his home. And it's amazing to me because he could have easily put that in the backyard somewhere. He could have said, hey, kids, don't even get around that. That, that's, that thing is, I don't know, it's crazy. There's a lot of hurt with that. I'm glad he didn't have that kind of attitude. He didn't say, oh, man, listen, you better be careful because that ark, it's just looking to kill people. Sometimes we have this idea. Sometimes we teach our children uh, as fathers that, that God's all about spanking people. Well, the moment you mess up, just, just, just be expecting the lightning. Hey, just be, be expecting the, the car accident. Be expecting the hospital visit because, hey, that's what God's here to do. Obed-Edom could have said that to them. He could have said, man, listen, I've seen that ark in action. you got to be careful with that thing. But no. No, Obed-Edom, he, he establishes it a place in his home because he desired the blessings of God. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better. There's no other way to receive the blessings of God in your home without having the presence of God in your home, without allowing the presence of God to change you, to change what you're doing, to change how you're thinking. That's why uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said, put off the old man and put on the new man by the renewing of your mind. Why? Listen, because, because the presence of God changes everything. It changes us from being liars to being truth tellers, to being uh, people that hold grudges, to being people that forgive others, people that worship the things of this world, worship jobs and worship money and worship possessions, to people that worship God. We turn away from idols to turn to the living God. That's what the presence of God does. It changes you. And it brings about God's blessings in your life. I love the challenge and the promise that God gives in Malachi 3.10. He tells the people of Israel, he says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now. He said, you want to give me a test? Give me a test. He said, and just see if I won't open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, listen, you fathers, I dare you. I dare you to allow my presence to change you. I dare you to say, I'm going to make this home a home where God is the, the one we follow. And God's word is the one thing that we uplift, the one thing that we obey. That, that's why God said, if you can just do that. Hey, uh, my money, God's given me a job. God gave me health. God gave me this money. And, and God said, well, if you just give that back to me, so you'll find that I can bless you. 
And I'm not just going to bless you like your boss blesses you for being there 40 hours a week with a paycheck at the end. He said, no, no, that's, that's the way man blesses. Yes, that's the way that man gives you uh, what you've earned, but not God. No, no, God's blessings go far beyond that. God's blessings are blessings that come that money can never buy. God's blessing gives you peace in a marriage relationship. Anyone that's been married for any length of time knows that marriages can be difficult. There can be times where marriages want to just end and dissolve, and many have chosen that. Oh, but when the presence of God is in your marriage, it changes. And suddenly in your marriage, you experience the peace of God. That's a blessing from God. Uh, when you have the presence of God in your, in your life and in your home, you begin to see the provision of God for all of your needs. And God is such a God that he doesn't just give for your needs. He even gives for our wants sometimes. Why? Because of his presence. You, be, you begin to see the, the blessings of the power of God where you begin to impact other people's lives. It was a blessing to me to to hear just last week when one of the men of our church, Brother Chevy Floyd is here this morning, senior, going to, to work and just trying to be a blessing, just trying to, to allow the presence of God to, to kind of do its work and let others see that, hey, I'm just going to follow what the scripture says. I just want to do what God has commanded us to do and, and just be a blessing to others and receive the blessings of God and suddenly there was someone there at work that had to go, had the separation of a loved one. Mother had gotten cancer, I believe it was, and passed away. And they asked Brother Chevy, would you come to the funeral? Would you just speak to us? Would you just pray for us? Because they saw something different in him. There was a presence there that was more than just the guy at work. It was the power of God. That's the blessings I'm talking about. That's what the presence of God will do. When you make the presence of God the center of your home, when you say this is where it's going to settle, this is where I'm going to establish, this is what I'm going to build upon, and God says, then I can bless you. Then you can leave a legacy that's worth following after. So let me ask you, Dad, are you building on that kind of legacy? Number two, I see this characteristic, and to find this in the life of Obed-Edom, you, you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, you find this, that he worshiped through praising God. He welcomed the presence of God, but then he worshiped through praising God. 1 Chronicles chapter number 16, and look at verse number 4. 1 Chronicles 16, 4 says, And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, and to record and to think and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah and Jeel and uh, Semiramoth and Jehiel and uh, Mephaiah and Eliab and Benaniah. And then it says, and Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom. And he said, and Asaph made sound with cymbals and Benaniah and, and Jehaziel did with the trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant. And there they are. This orchestra that was praising God. 
worshiping God. You see, Obed-Edom wasn't just a man that was content with having the presence of God in his home. He wasn't content with just saying, I know who God is. I know how God is. No, no. He wanted to go the next step and say, I want to worship God. I want to worship and praise God. And what's amazing is that you find that he used his talents for worship. He used his talents for worship. See, Obed, uh, Obed-Edom was a man who, who was learned in music. He was skillful at it. In fact, uh, in another passage there in, in uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 15, you find that he played the harp. Now, the harp back then wasn't the big harp that we, we know today. Uh, most scholars believe it was probably something more, more along the lines of a guitar. And, and so here is Obed-Edom, and, and now he's, he knows how to play the guitar And he's saying, you know what? Here's an instrument that I can use to worship God. Here's a talent that God has given me to worship God. I love the fact that Obed-Edom didn't just decide to say, well, hey, I put in the work. I'm the one that picked up this guitar, and I had to teach myself how to play, or somebody had to teach me how to play, and and, uh, it's my talent. I can use it however I want. And he could. He could have used his talent to have concerts, maybe, and become a world-famous musician. Possibly. I have no idea. But if that would have been his decision, we wouldn't be talking about him today. If that would have been his decision, 62 people would have, of his family would not have been impacted by him. You would not have seen that recorded in Scripture anywhere. But instead, he was a man that used his talents for God. Matthew chapter 25 says that God gives everyone talents. Some he gives more talents than others. But here's the, the end of the parable. Simply, this is what Jesus was teaching. Use the talents that I gave you for something greater than you. God gave us talents, not for us, but for him. Just like God gave us this life, not just so we can only enjoy this life to ourselves. He gave us this life so that we can praise him so we can know him, so that we can follow him, that we can serve him. I love the fact that Obed-Edom used his talents that way. So let me just say, Father, the challenge today isn't, man, do I have a talent? No, no. God already said every one of us has a talent. The question is, what are you using your talent for? Because I promise you something. If you had no talent, you'd probably have no job either. There's something that you can do. There's something that God has given you the ability to do. You say, well, I'm not exceptional at it. You don't have to be exceptional at anything. See, here's what God, here's what we have to understand about God. God loves to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. God's not looking for the extraordinary people so he can do something. Because the problem is, when you get the extraordinary It's easy to get really prideful. It's easy to say, well, look what I've done for God. But it's those that understand, I'm just ordinary. I don't know that God's really given me anything so much better than anyone else. But I've seen this. If I give God the ordinary, he'll do the extraordinary. That's all Obed-Edom was saying. He was saying, the talent that God's given me, I want to use it to worship him. He's allowed me to play the guitar. I want to do that. Then you'll find this 
in Chronicles. You, you, you see that, that verse, um, verse number nine. It says, uh, I'm sorry, in verse number six, it says, that, again, that word continually, except this one's a different word. The first one continually that we talked about was being settled. In this context, it's a different Hebrew word there, and it means daily. So in other words, Obed-Edom said, I'm going to use the talent that God has given me to worship him, but I'm not just going to do it one day of the week. I'm not looking at this to say, well, if there's a special event, maybe I'll do it. No, it was something that he was going to use daily as part of his daily practice. He said, I'm going to sing to God, but I'm not only going to do it Sundays between 11.10 or whenever it is that we start, 11.10 and 11.35 or 11.40. I'm not just going to sing then. I'm going to sing every day. I'm going to use the talent God has given me every day. I'm going to worship every day. Do you know that the word worship literally means to ascribe worth to something? So in other words, think about this. Worship can only happen on purpose. Cannot happen on accident. You cannot come to church and accidentally worship God. You can come to church and not worship God. That you can do. But to ascribe worth is an intentional action. It's kind of like getting dressed in the morning. That doesn't happen by accident. You don't just get out of bed and suddenly you have the new clothes on. You have to go to your closet and you have to pick it out and then you have to actually put it on. It's a purposeful action. So is worship. And Obed-Edom said, I, I want to be a worshiper that praises God every day. You want to know how you're going to impact your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren or all 62 of them, if that how, is that how many you have in your family? You know how you're going to do that? Welcoming the presence of God and being a worshiper that praises God. Use your talents for God. And don't just use them on Sundays. I mean, use them every day. Obed-Edom was a man that way. A father that was choosing to be a worshiper of God. Can I just give you some practical tips, Dad? Listen, if you want to do this and just, just make it something uh, practical, listen, don't just sing while you're here at church. Sing at home. And let your kids hear you. It's okay if you're not on tune. and in, It's all right. Nobody's asking you to be Mariah Carey. Just... Just sing. Let them hear you. Hey, when, when you talk about something at the table, talk about the Bible. It doesn't have to be the only thing you talk about, but it should come up at some point. Uh, teach about what God is teaching you. Teach your kids. You know what I learned about God this week? Hey, listen to me. Hey, hey, hey. Elijah, listen, you got to hear this because this is good. It's something that you're going to say, I got to teach you something that God's teaching me. Take time to listen to a message together. Take time to share with them God's greatness. Sometimes, sometimes I'll ask my kid, how big is God? That. Where do they learn that? Sunday school and at home. We talk about it. We talk about how big God is, how strong God is, how mighty God is. We talk about that over and over and over again. Share the blessings. Share the blessings with your kids. 
I love something that Pastor Olette uh, always, always does when he comes. He, he, with my kids, he, he's, he's so gracious to them, and, and he always gives them a gift. And he always says, because you're a pastor's kid, this is for you. You're special. I appreciate that. He says, I just want to do something for that kid. I want to impact them. And because you're a servant of God, he'll tell them, it's because your dad serves God, here's this gift. In other words, he's not just giving a gift to be a blessing, which is not bad. That's great. But he's also sharing a blessing. Uh, some of us ought to tell our children, listen, because God is so good, this is, this is why we have this gift for you. Happy birthday. It's not because I'm a great dad. No, no, no. It's because God is good. He's been good to our family. Hey, hey buddy, because, because we love and serve God, God's been gracious. Share those lessons with your kid. Talk about it. I mean, just make it something that is part of your daily life. Let me give you the third one and we'll get out of here. Not only did he welcome the presence of God and not only was he a worshiper and a praise God, but he worked for God's purposes. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15, in verse number 24, you find this to be true. He was a man that just wanted to serve God with his life. In fact, it says in verse number 24 that he was a porter or a gatekeeper at the house of God. Let me give you two thoughts on this and we'll, and we'll be done. As far as Obed-Edom working and serving God, making that his purpose. Number one, being the gatekeeper there at that place, it was not the most glamorous job, but he was just content to serve. The gatekeeper wasn't someone that everyone thought, wow, that guy's the gatekeeper. It wasn't one with a big title. It was one that opened the doors. When it was time to come in and worship, the gatekeeper said, hey, hey, welcome. Welcome to, welcome to uh, service today. When the services were over, they were there to close the doors. Uh, the gatekeeper was the one that would say, hey, uh, if you need uh, to, to put your offering in the offering plate, it's right over there. There's the chest. They were going to make sure that no one's stealing from the chest. They were there to, to guard it, make sure that money was going to be used for the furtherance of the temple to get that built with, Solomon's, uh, with, with David's son Solomon. I mean, that's what they were doing. Making sure that those that were not supposed to be coming in didn't come in. It wasn't the most glamorous job. I'm sure they were criticized many times. I'm sure they were, they were talked about many times. I'm sure they were belittled many times. It wasn't the most glamorous thing. But Obed-Edom didn't care about that. It was just simply, I get to serve God. Well, do you want to serve as a gatekeeper? Yeah, sounds good to me. Listen, if you go back in history through Obed-Edom's family line, you'll meet a guy by the name of Korah. And Korah was with the people that came out of Egypt with Moses. And he was a Levite too. And one of his jobs was going to be something like that. And Korah, Korah said to the people, hey, is it okay that only God wants to just talk to Moses? Why can't he talk to me? Hey, why can't I do what Moses is doing? And Moses said, Korah, 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 whoa, whoa, you're looking at it wrong. Korah, be happy where God has placed you. Just have a heart and a desire to serve him. In fact, he said, why don't you go home and think about it? And if you still have that kind of mindset tomorrow, God will intervene. And be careful with that, Korah. And he told the people with Korah, don't, don't follow that kind of thinking. That's bad thinking. 
That's wrong thinking. That's earthly, carnal, worldly. Don't think that way. But Korah was not going to listen to anybody. The next day, Korah's there telling the people, oh, what's so special about Moses? Why does God only use Moses? God can speak to me too. And Moses doesn't have a monopoly on, on God's voice and God's word. In that moment, God came to intervene. He told Moses, tell the people to get away from Korah. And the people that did get away from him got away and they were saved. And the ones that stayed with Korah, the, the, the Bible says that the earth opened and swallowed them whole like that. And all I'm saying is his great, 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 great grandson by the name of Ovid Edom said, hey, I'm not going to have that kind of attitude. God, I'm a Levite. I'm here to work in the temple. Whatever it is that you want me to work as, I'll do that. Wasn't the idea of, hey, who's going to see me? Who's going to look at me? No, no, no. It wasn't that at all. It was, I just want to serve. That's why the psalmist in, in chapter, uh, Psalm 84, verse 10, he said, man, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I, I'd rather live for God and have that kind of purpose for my life and leave that kind of legacy so that my kids can say, man, that was a dad that lived for God. Now, I know he never became the president of a company, and he really was never a manager, and, and he just worked every day. But I'll tell you something about my dad. He served God. I can't, I can't remember a time where I came on a Sunday, and, God, and, and dad wasn't trying to serve God. I can't even think of a Sunday like that. That was a legacy of all, but he, he wasn't the priest, wasn't the pastor. Wasn't the missionary? It's just a guy who said, I want to serve God. Not glamorous. Not looking for a title. Just looking to serve. Let me give you the second thought on that. That it was a job that required diligence and vigilance. Vigilance, I'm sorry. Diligence and vigilance. Being there every day, day after day. Have to be aware of what's going on. Hey, who's standing over there by the, by the offering? Are they supposed to be there? Hey, uh, uh, who, who's the, they're waiting at the door. Hey, uh, let, let's go. Somebody, we need to go get that door open. Let's go. People are coming in. Time to worship. Hey, let's get ready. This is the best time of the week right here. Let's, hey, come on in. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to worship God. Nothing better to do on a Sunday morning than worshiping God. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. That's what I was doing. But he was diligent at that. He wasn't taking it lightly. Later, Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know that word study? It's translated study in English. It means diligent. Paul was saying be diligent. Something that Obed-Edom was in his job, in serving God, with that purpose was diligence. Dad, you want to have an impact in your family? Be diligent in serving God. You know, if we're not careful, sometimes we can, we can come very careless in our attitude when it comes to serve God. It's amazing we'll take all the time we need to fix something at home or to fix something in, in the week. But time for God is just so little. And we say, oh, you just don't understand how busy my week is. And let me just say, I'm not here to try to guilt you into your weekly schedule. I, 
I don't know what your weekly schedule is. Some of you work 60 to 80 hours a week. All I'm saying is, let's, let's be careful in the time that God does give us, and let's be diligent there, during that time. Let's not come on a Sunday morning and be like, all right, man, is this, is this is pastor ever going to get out of here, or what's going on? No, no, no. Saying, hey, God, I'm here to soak it up. Man, I, I really hope that Pastor Jeremy's got a message that's going to hit me, because that's what I'm here for today. God, I'm here to hear anything you have for me. God, I'm here to sing, not just to get the song over with. No, no. God, I, I just love singing. I love singing as the deer. I love singing complete in thee. No work of mine. Man, I just, I just love that. Serving God. Not losing that purpose. How's your work today for God? It's truly amazing. Truly amazing the legacy of Obed-Edom. Impacted 62 people that we know of in Scripture. Probably more than that. But his sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, how'd he do it? What was the key for him? Simple. Not a lot said about him, but it's amazing what was said about him. One, he welcomed the presence of God. Two, he worshiped and praised God. Number three, he worked for the purposes of God. It's an amazing legacy. And here's the thing, dads. We can all have that legacy. You don't have to be super talented to welcome God's presence. You don't have to be super genius and know all the scriptures by memory to worship him. You don't have to be benching 300 pounds to come and work in God's house. You don't. That's a legacy you can, you can have. My challenge this morning is to leave that kind of legacy. Alfred was a man that was born in 1833 to a family of engineers there in Sweden. He's a man that was gifted in this area of chemistry. In fact, he met a guy by the name of uh, Ascanio, and Ascanio was the one that really came up with nitroglycerin. It's an explosive uh, element uh, that you can... Uh, find uh, as chemists, people know that, and and uh, and Alfred was one that was just fascinated by that, and he it, he decided to begin to to work with nitroglycerin and saying, man, there's got to be a way to commercialize this. There's got to be a way to control this, and through time and research and work, he came up with the thing that we call today dynamite. Alfred was the creator of dynamite, and. <laughs> It's amazing what he said. He said, my dynamite, and this is a quote of his, he said, my dynamite will sooner lead to peace than a thousand world conventions. As soon as men will find that one, in one instant whole armies can be utterly destroyed, they surely will abide by golden peace. <laughs> when they can see what dynamite does, they're never going to fight with each other anymore. We know that that's not exactly true. That's what Alfred was thinking. Alfred had two brothers that were also very accomplished. One of them was named Ludwig. And unfortunately, Ludwig died before Alfred did. Being that they were famous and accomplished people, in the obituary, after Ludwig died, they wrote a piece there. The problem was they thought that Ludwig was Alfred. And so they were saying, finally, in the French newspaper, they said, finally, 
The man who invented dynamite, the merchant of death, has died. Alfred saw that. As he read the obituary, understanding that it was about him and not about his brother who had passed away, he had a rare opportunity that not many of us have. He got to see what his legacy was. The story says that he was so convicted by that. This legacy and this title, the merchant of death, that he said, that's not how I want people to remember me. So he said, I'm going to leave all of my fortune and everything that I have made to give a prize to those that in the areas of chemistry or literature or any of these areas have really come out on top and brought peace and bring peace to our world. Alfred's last name is Noble. The Nobel Peace Prize is actually one that he started. Alfred Noble, the merchant of death, changed his legacy to now, when we think of the Nobel Peace Prize, we think of someone that has done something impactful and grateful and something that's really moved us as a world into a better world. That's the legacy he left. Let me just tell you this morning, Dad, it might be that you've made some pretty bad decisions up to this point. Can I tell you, your legacy doesn't end there. Don't let that be the last thing that your kids think of you about. Change your legacy today. It's really simple. Follow Obed-Edom. Welcome the presence of God. Worship God. Work Let's leave a legacy, dads, that our children and grandchildren will not forget. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And this morning, Father, I thank you for the example and the life of Obed-Edom. Not a lot is said about him. Not a lot is shared about him. Oh, but Father, the little that we have in Scripture, how impactful it is. How challenging for us as fathers today to realize that a legacy is what we're leaving, whether we like it or not. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to think today, what is the legacy I have left? And if we haven't left the best legacy thus far in our life, I pray that we would decide today to begin to apply your truth and your word and say that the legacy I want to leave my kids and grandkids is one that is a godly legacy legacy of someone that loved God, used my talents for God, that wanted to follow God and wanted that one to just worship and work. Oh, Father, may that be our legacy as, as fathers today. May we not leave this place without deciding today. We're going to change. We're going to be men that lead our home in a way that would honor and please you. We would be men that leave a legacy for our family that is not easily forgotten. Father, to do that, we need your power. We need your spirit to fill us, to control us, to guide us. And so we ask for that today. Work in our homes, work in our families, work in our life. I ask this in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.